Hello, and welcome to another episode of Top Class, the OECD's education podcast. I'm Henry, and I work in the OECD's Directorate for Education and Skills. Today, we're talking about the future of education, and more specifically, what children starting school now will need to succeed in tomorrow's world. And you can't really talk about the future of education without talking about technology and artificial intelligence. So we will be looking at what effects those might have on education over the coming years. I'm very happy to be joined by two very clever and very busy people who have taken uh, some time out of their busy schedules to come and sit down with me. I literally grabbed them uh, yesterday afternoon because everybody's here at a, at, uh, at a conference and they're speaking to the OECD and they kindly agreed just before they leave Paris to talk to me. Uh, on my left is Yuyun Park, founder of the DQ Institute, and on my right is Ruben Laukinen, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Amsterdam. Thank you both for joining me. Pleasure Thank you for having here. us. Ruben, I'm very aware that you have to catch a train. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry, I haven't forgotten at all that you are on a, on a schedule. We'll try, and, we'll try and make it quick, but uh, to give everybody a little bit of context, Ruben and Yuyun are both involved in the OECD's Education 2030 project which is dedicated to understanding how education should respond to the challenging world we live in and the needs of tomorrow. And the project is currently putting together a learning framework which outlines the underpinning principles for the future of education systems. Um, why don't we start with each of you giving a very short summary of your work and your involvement with Education 2030. So Ruben, you go. Sure. <clears throat> so I have a pretty diverse background in terms of uh, research, but I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. Uh, my PhD was on insight experiences and creative problem solving uh, and learning more generally. Uh, so I worked on that for the, you know, about four years and published some work looking at how people use their insight experiences as sort of informative phenomenology during their learning. So we found, for example, that uh, when people have insight experiences, it's a good sign that they've discovered something new. So that's valuable for things like creativity and so on. Um, and now moving into my postdoc, I'm actually researching uh, the neuroscience of meditation. So we'll be working with meditation experts, so people who've you know, spent two decades on retreat um, and getting them in and doing some brain imaging and um, seeing how meditation as a long-term practice uh, affects the brain. So, okay. yeah. Come back to you on that later because that's sure. fascinating. Uh, Yuyun? Yes, um, I'm representing DQ Institute. DQ stands for Digital Intelligent Quotient. Um, we aim to set global standards for digital literacy, digital skills, and digital readiness. We kick off a um, global coalition called global Coalition for Digital Intelligence, uh, comprised of OECD, IEEE, and us as the Institute in association with the World Economic Forum uh, to achieve actually um, very uh, the ambitious goal of universal digital intelligence, uh, which means that we need to provide the digital skills and competency to every children and every individual who is living in this fourth industrial revolution. I actually managed to catch Yu Yun's presentation uh, yesterday. As I mentioned, we're all here at a conference talking about Education 2030 in Paris. You mentioned three fears and three truths about the digital world. Could you explain that? <laughs> yes. Um, I frame it as a three fears because I hear everywhere in the world, wherever I travel, when it comes to education and technology. The first fear that we always talk is about the, how AI is fantastic. 
you know, we often stop into the argument that, you know, our children will be inferior to the AI and we will be replaced by the AI in, in the future. The second fear I hear is that because of that, we all have urgency to change education. But the narrative is about how we can enable our children to uh, compete against AI. So people talk about STEM education, coding education, soft skill. But I also feel the fear in there because we don't know what to do. The third fear is very prevalent, is that despite the technology is not that safe, um, our research shows that 56% uh, of our children aged 8 to 12 are involved with at least one uh, cyber risk, including cyberbullying, game addiction, uh, offline meeting with strangers, as well as uh, um, online sexual behavior. So which actually signals how the technology can be negative impact on the well-being of individuals, especially the young children and minors. So with these fears, we have to actually think about what is the solution for this. Well, always fear uh, can be removed when there, the truth that comes, right? The first truth that we always emphasize is that technology is only meaningful when it enhances in, in humanity. The truth is that our children, of course, our human beings are not perfect, but we are fearfully, wonderfully created, right? And technology is created for men, not the other way around. And we, we cannot forget that, the basic truth about this. So. Second truth I want to emphasize is that it is because of that we need to change our narrative. We should not actually talk about education to empower children to compete against AI. Rather than we have to tell how we can actually make our children to become a master of technology who can um, utilize AI and technology for our benefit and humanity benefit. So we usually use the analogy of uh, horse riding horse is faster than us, we are, but we are not competing against horse through, through running, rather we ride the horse. That means we need to ride uh, technology that requires not just about the technical skills, it requires cognitive, metacognitive, social, emotional, comprehensive ability is required. So third a very important truth is that you know we are actually living in this the digital world which is uncensored and filtered information is 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 affluent then um, we talk about digital critical thinking to discern about the effect from um, what is that wrong information but fake information but actually that is not good enough we need to have a moral campus in order for individuals to have a healthy and robust um, well-being in this the digital world. So these are the three things that I always uh, emphasize about. So what does that mean then for, for students and children? What are they going to have to learn in order to deal with the increasingly technology-rich environment? Um, Yuyen, I'll ask you, but then I'd like to get Ruben's take on that as well. Why don't we start with Ruben because okay. I really uh, intrigued about his research and his mm. finding in you know, well-being and meditations. Okay, Ruben's yeah. to you, and then we're back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a kind of central interest and I guess concern of mine is how do we prepare um, children and teenagers for a future that's fundamentally uncertain? 
Um, so to give you a little bit of background just on how the brain works, where it's basically a prediction machine. Um, so the brain understands the world by making predictions about it and having certain expectations about it. Um, and by doing that, it kind of adds some order to the chaos of life. And arguably, the world is becoming more chaotic, more complex, more ambiguous, um, more volatile and more uncertain. Um, this is a concept known as VUCA. And so the question is, how do we prepare individuals and children to live in a world that's even more chaotic than it already is? And how does that affect a brain that's essentially always trying to make order out of that chaos? And that puts a lot of strain on us fundamentally as human, uh, human beings. Um, and I don't think there's any simple answers, but some of the research that we've done suggests that, for example, um, tools like learning to learn might be particularly valuable because what we're going to have to be is extremely adaptable to change, essentially, because what all of this sort of VUCA, this volatility and uncertainty translates to is just increasing amounts of change. So we need tools to be able to adapt to change. And so that means if you lose your job to, say, automation, what you need to feel is that you've got some sort of self-efficacy and control in that situation and having sort of this ability to learn to learn um, can give you that self-efficacy and I guess agency in that sort of uncertain world and so that's sort of like a cognitive tool. The other thing um, given my background that I'm interested in is, is meditation because it's one thing to have tools to adapt but it's another thing to be able to adapt in a way that maintains your well-being through those circumstances. And I think meditation is something that can build resilience, um, self-awareness, and you can potentially find you know, rest within the mess, as they say. So as the chaos increases, if you have these tools of meditation, then you can find a sort of, uh, I guess, rest from that uh, chaos again, where you can just kind of come back to the present moment and realize that actually in the present moment, in our sensory awareness and our perceptions, none of that uncertainty really exists that that's something that's out there in the world and in our minds. But if we have these tools um, of meditation, then uh, we can find somewhere to have a break from all of that. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned meditation. I find that very, very fascinating as a tool that we can kind of prescribe mm -hmm. for this kind of a volatile world. Yugen? Um, very interesting. Thank you, Ruben, for the clarifying all these uh, different elements in what we discussed last few days. Mm. Um, education OECD, um, Education 2030, emphasize about student agency. Um, let me rephrase in this way. When we looking back the history, now, we are now in the point of asking a question about what it means to be human. When AI comes in and uh, we, not just AI, robotics, uh, nanoscience, all different actually technologies are converging to each other. And uh, a lot of peoples are now talking about upgrading human being to the next level with the technology. So this is a point for us to reflect mm. about what it means to be human, what it mean by the education. Looking back the history, so uh, when first industrial and second industrial uh, revolution happened, uh, before this whole, the machine came out, so-called, uh, what is the value of human? You know, mm. uh, people like you guys having good physical strength and tall. Uh, I about that. <laughs> <laughs> have a much more value than compared to like person like me as a weak uh, female, actually, who cannot really <laughs> dig the ground with uh, my two, the, with the, even with the shovel. 
So physical strength is a quite a high value, and education has been um, actually focusing around how to nurture the workers in that setting, in agricultural and all, mm-hmm. all other setting. And when there is a machine comes in, now there is a machine who is replace, replacing the physical strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a time that the standardization, uh, standardized testing comes to the board. And there's a time that factory-like education system was born because the society now needs clever children mm-hmm. rather than strong children. So. That was a time the IQ was born. Very interesting, right? And about 100 years later, there's a third industrial revolution happened. Computer happened, you know, internet was created. Then the people no longer work for the factory alone. People come to the city. They work in the office. And they're now, you know, in a crowded space. Many people work in a very different dimension. Now people are thinking, okay, this is smart enough it's not enough. Mm. <laughs> we need <clears throat> the people who have the uh, emotional skill. So that's interestingly, that's when the EQ was born. Now we are entering to force industrial revolution, which is now our mind job, right? EQ and IQ was kind of mind job. Mind job can be replaced by AI and machine. And what's left to us, right? So if human can be composed into body, mind, spirit, what's left is spirit. What is spirit? We don't know. Somebody call spirit, somebody call passion, somebody call agency. You know, it can be translated into a lot of different way of expressing our so-called spirit. Um, since we are talking about agency, let's call it agency. Agency means that our willingness and our just innate energy mm. to, to, to actually drive in our circumstances. So with this the historical view, it is time for us to look at, yes, maybe it is not a bad idea. The mundane job and the, the job that we didn't want to do as a mind job can be replaced by AI and then we can be more the human ourselves. It can be expressed through the medication, uh, no, no, meditation, (laughs) not medication. It can be expressed through the meditation. Um, It can be expressed through the um, initiative of children, but I think it is time for us to actually focus on uh, how we can actually design ourselves to think about, not just about ourselves, about the greater cause and the community. So I think that's the focus uh, that we have to pay attention to. Given that this new industrial revolution coincides with a world that's, what do you say, VUCA, very volatile, uncertain, uh, complex, ambiguous, is that Mm -hmm. right? That's right. I got it. I got it in one. Um, Given that the new industrial revolution is in that world, uh, I guess, Ruben, I would put this question to you. Are machines or AI better at dealing with that uncertainty than humans? Or will they be? Maybe it's a big question. I don't know. You can enlighten us. uh, I would say that given the current state of things, and I have to admit I'm not an expert on artificial intelligence, but from my understanding of the literature, um, much of complexity um, artificial intelligence is really good at dealing with, particularly in specific tasks. So 
if you take any kind of specific task where you've got to deal with a complex data set or play a complex game, artificial intelligence will almost always do better than humans. Um, but the particular struggles come when there's ambiguity and volatility in the task. So if the task is perpetually changing or the context of the task is ambiguous, that's when artificial intelligence uh, really struggles. So there's some classic examples where you get an AI to play a particular game, say chess, and you change the rules even a little bit and the whole thing breaks down and it can no longer play the game. So that gives you an idea of the difficulty these algorithms have with simply adapting to change. Um, and this is probably, at least the way that things are now, um, an advantage that humans have. Um, and so that's why I guess this sort of learning to learn capabilities is kind of a niche in itself for humans. But I have to admit that that's probably going to be temporary. Mm. Mm. So what are the human capabilities that are going to become the most important in the age where machines can face really, really complex tasks that we can't? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the million dollar question. I mean, for me, it's one thing that's never going to be automated is our well-being. And Yu Yun was getting at this, um, getting at the heart of this really, really well. Um, and so what we need to be focusing on potentially is having strategies for being happy and being healthy and being flourishing humans when potentially some of the things that we take to be our purpose, our jobs and things um, are taken care of. And I think as much as people see that as a scary thing, I see that as a fantastic opportunity for humans to potentially go inward and focus on our genuine well-being and flourishing as human beings. And I think that's fantastic, actually. I agree with uh, what Rubin just said. And I think it's important for us to remove the myth around AI. A lot of times uh, uh, people tend to believe AI can handle everything in better than whatever we can do, which is not factually correct. AI is a good tool to utilize. Of course, you know, AI have very different version of AI. We have a general artificial intelligence. Uh, some people thinking a bit more as extended intelligence that can augment the human's intelligence depending on how you actually, which schools that you're, you're in. Uh, AI can be very, very different, pers um, the meaning to the different people. But so far, to my limited knowledge, AI can be great tools to make uh, decision-making um, in the midst of the complex data set, um, good at classification and optimizations. And the open AI projects already kind of proved that, you know, they're, they can be better than human and, and game situation, which is constantly making a decision and move on to the next level. So uh, there's a certainly the area that we can utilize AI for our own benefits. So for instance, when there is a doctor office, uh, when human doctor and AI doctor do the diagnosis of the certain image, the medical image, there's a 70% chance that AI is better than making a right decision compared to human doctors. But, um, but that doesn't mean it's 100%, right? Um, and also, when there is two different, actually, diagnoses came out, and what is the responsibility of doctors say uh, no to what AI said? And who's going to have the responsibility? So there's a lot of issue coming out from the, this, the stage of the AI development and the human's role. But certainly what we can do is to have 
the AI to augment our own intelligence. And in, or, in order for us to have uh, AI to become a tool to augment our own intelligence, um, our children need to equip with the higher order thinking. Right? I guess that kind of brings mm -hmm. us back to kind of the themes of Education 2030. I want to ask both of you, what do you think are the concrete strategies in schools that we can start to introduce so that children understand the complex world and, and the role of technology and also have a healthy relationship and make the most of it? Our initiative of uh, a universal digital intelligence uh, started just to serve that aim. What we found is that technology is, is now essential part of um, all individuals who is living in this uh, hyper-connected world. That affects every dimension of human life, in fact, from the communication to identity to um, human interaction. So what is important for us to teach our young generation is how to cope with the demands and challenge in digital life, digital and physical life, combined life. Um, so what we do uh, from the coalition side is to look at all different dimensions. So digital literacy, usually we think about uh, just how to read and write in the digital space, but that's, that's one component of digital competency that we have to focus on. We should start thinking about what is identity in the digital space, uh, how to use uh, in a healthy and balanced way, you know, with the well-being, and also what do you mean by the safety and security in the digital way, what do you mean by the emotional intelligence in the digital space, what do you mean by the human right in the digital space, what do you mean by the communications in the digital space. So uh, we're looking at the eight different dimension of uh, um, digital competency that we're looking at. And at the same time, it has a three different level of maturity, starting with the digital citizenship, which means that you know, individual, the children should aware that they can become the master of technology as their identity. That means that they, ha they can minimize cyber risk but maximize the potential. So having that as identity and having the responsibility it's a basis to create the new values, which is the digital creativity. Uh, that includes the makers, actually, movement, coding education, robotic education, the future education that we are now discussing should be integral part of the education. But at the same time, we have a lot of job challenge, which is the reality. There is a prediction that by 2030, 50% of the current job will be replaced by the automation. Um, and um, entrepreneurship is the key themes in everywhere in the world. But what does it mean to be the digital technology uh, to serve this entrepreneurship? So how we can translate our um, the creative value into the innovation? So that is the all throughout. I think um, uh, that is the basis of I think the education that we need to uh, serve our children. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that uh, we're going to have to ensure that everyone has expertise with the world that they're genuinely dealing with now, which is increasingly, again, uncertain and um, digital in many ways. Um, and so just to add to that, I think one thing that's going to be valuable as people become entrepreneurs and have increasing agency in the world as potentially you know a lot of everyday tasks taken care of, we're going to have to have clear sort of moral, ethical values and compasses for making 
good decisions for creating things that are actually valuable for society and that sort of promote human flourishing and all the things that uh, we care about. So potentially, again, as these tasks are increasingly automated, we could spend some of our resources and energy in building good philosophical foundations in our children, um, integrity, moral foundations and ethics to guide them to make good decisions out in the world. And we know from the research that having these sorts of core values, core assumptions that you can believe in can provide a kind of light in the darkness of uncertainty. And you sh people who have these strong sorts of values literally show a reduced neural response to uncertainty, which is extremely valuable. And how we react to uncertainty is really within our control, which if we perceive it as a threat, then we get this sort of cascade of stressful res responses, anxiety, and all those sort of fear-based things, which is also associated with things like uh, faster disease progression and sort of really bad health outcomes. But on the other hand, if we see this uncertainty as a kind of opportunity, then it can just tighten our awareness, it increases attention, it has all these sorts of positive effects on the brain. And having these sorts of core values and assumptions as guiding principles, I think, are going to be particularly valuable. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm aware that Ruben has a train to catch, so I think <laughs> I think we'll stop it there. But I want to thank you both so much for joining me, and I wish you both a safe journey home. Thank you so much for thank the invitation. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks to everyone for listening. And if you want to know more about the OECD's Education 2030 project, you can find more info at www.oecd.org/education/2030. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.